Well, I received a letter from one of our Cal students recently who was wrestling through all the losses associated with the lockdown uh, the pandemic has required. Um, you know, losing class time, job, um, internship, friends, leadership roles, and then this particular student is a senior, so uh, losing graduation, that incredible rite of passage that one works so hard for. And he went on to explain, though, how, how God had been using the stripping away of all of this to help him to see that his sense of identity and his value and his worth had become wrapped up in these things in a kind of an unhealthy way. And it really raises a question that I want to raise for us today. And it's kind of a long-standing question, an important question, but maybe especially during this pandemic, it has risen to the fore again for us. And that is simply this. Where do we go to find our sense of value or worth? Where do we go to find our sense of value or worth? We can go to relationships, um, a significant other, romantic interest. Uh, sometimes we're wrapped up in pleasing our parents, and their affirmation gives us that sense of value. And we're, sometimes we look to our children, and we, we hope that they will reflect well on us, and that will then resonate back to us as a, a sense of value and, and worth. Um, we sometimes are caught up in the multitude of engagements and meetings that we have, and we feel like, you know, walking into that meeting and, and having a presence, um, being able to do something that seems so important, uh, makes us feel important. Of course, that's connected to our jobs, which is a whole other area where we find worth and, and value our salaries. Sometimes we can look at that number and say, well, at least, at least this is a part of who I am and, and gives me value or our title, or maybe we've got the big office when we walk into the office place, people show us respect. Um, maybe it's, it's recognition, like, like that moment of graduation that so many of our students are losing, that, that we were looking forward to that and now it's gone, or a promotion, or a job offer, or any of the rites of passage that come with life in our modern context. And then some of us have our value and worth um, attached to things in the future we, we've been preparing for and we can imagine a life in the future that will be a life of comfort and security. And that gives us uh, a sense of confidence at this time. And all of this during this pandemic has been threatened, right? It's been, it's been muted. Um, it's been threatened. It's been interrupted. Our relationships have been interrupted. Our jobs have been altered and in some cases threatened. Uh, instead of commanding the conference room, right, you're on that Zoom call and your, your kids are screaming in the background. You know, it just doesn't have that same sense, right? Um, and, and recognition, all of these students who are missing graduation or our high school students missing all the traditional rites of passage, the, the prom and whatever else there might be. Um, and then some of our students may be graduating or others who are in the midst of transitions may discover that job offers they, they had and were excited about and really have begun to feel like, okay, I've arrived, have been rescinded because of all of the economic change that we're experiencing. And then, of course, future expectations, well, 
all kinds of uncertainty in our world right now. And it's hard to look forward and say, well, at least I know that I'll be taken care of in X, Y, or Z. All of these have been muted or, or threatened during this time. And I want to flip the script again this morning, as we've been doing over these last several weeks, and ask, what good thing might God be doing with the loss of approval, uh, validation, affirmation, identity? What, what good thing might God be doing in the midst of this challenge? This is part of our series, Waiting Well, and it's been a burden for me uh, to really um, speak into and strive to help us to walk through this pandemic in ways uh, that will um, bear fruit, um, fruit from the spirit, that there's something going on deep under the surface right now. And, and if we can tap into what God is doing, we might just find some radical transformation taking place in our lives that won't just be for making it through this season, but actually setting us up to thrive and bear fruit, I believe, in the season to come, which we don't know uh, much about what it's going to look like. There could be some lasting changes in our world, but what is God doing to prepare us for that season in the future? It's been at times like this, right, where the church has always shined strong, where the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ has shined strong. And so, so we want to live into who we are in Christ. And part of that is, is waiting a while well, allowing, cooperating with the Holy Spirit in what God might be doing right now. So as we jump in, let me just pray, God, that you would meet each and every one of us where we are in this moment. Physically, we're in different homes, but spiritually and historically and in the journey of life, we're in all different kinds of places, having experienced many, many different things, unique to our own personhood, unique to our family of origin, unique to our ethnicity, unique to uh, so many components of who we are. And yet, Lord, you know every single one of us more in depth than we know ourselves. You, you know exactly what we need. You, you know the parts of our identity uh, that are broken. You know how to make them whole again. Um, you designed us and you create. So, so we want this moment to be a time of enlightenment by your spirit as you work in and through your words in scripture, um, by your Holy Spirit, through the community gathered in this unique way that we're gathered today to bring about the kind of growth and transformation that only you can bring. We give ourselves to you right now. We submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, that you might have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we talk about approval and having a sense of value and worth, we're really in the realm of identity, and I've already alluded to that uh, a couple of times in my introduction. Um, and I want to say this to start off with. This is sort of my first point. The Bible is about identity. It's a book about the formation of identity. And so much of it is characterized by the beautiful manner in which God comes to us to shape us, even from the very beginning, out of the earth, to form us into humankind. Um, going back uh, to when humans first came on the scene, they're described as being, what, made in the image 
of God. That's a radical identity statement. Who are they? They're made in the image. Do they have value? Yes. Made in the image of God. With that, it carries the significance of value. And when then, because of sin, God sends Jesus to provide a way of redemption, Paul describes it like this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen to the identity words here, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. What are you now? How are you defined in light of Christ? You're a new creation. Those are words of identity, of value, of definition. Throughout the Bible, God the Father and Jesus are forever shaping people's identity by renaming them, right? The name is an important part of our identity. Abram, which means exalted father, becomes Abraham, father of many. Jacob, which means supplanter or deceiver, becomes Israel, one who struggles with God. Simon, which means to listen, becomes Peter, becomes the rock. Peter means rock upon whom the church would be established. And and then Saul becomes Paul. And and the list goes on. God refers to his people using identity-forming names like treasured possession. It's one of the repeated phrases that define the people of God over and over again in the Old Testament. You are my treasured possession. And then that becomes true of us living in the New Testament time, under the New Testament covenant, um, we're God's treasured possession in Christ. Beautiful words forming our identity. Words, phrases like kingdom of priests and, and daughter of Zion. All of these serve to shape how we think about who we are to form our identity. Jesus says amazing, amazing things to the disciples like, you are my friends. Wow. I'm a friend of God? Really? That's who I am? In Christ, through Jesus, I'm a friend of God? That's my identity? Cover to cover, the Bible is a book intended to help you form your identity. Unfortunately, the reality is is we often don't go to the Bible to figure out who we are. We spend our time looking elsewhere. Tim Keller gave a talk on identity, identity formation a couple years back based on a book by Charles Taylor, which is entitled Sources of the Self, Sources of the Self. And in it, Keller describes two ways that identity is formed uh, in the world. In the traditional mode, people achieved a sense of value or worth by meeting the requirements placed upon them by the authoritative people around them. So think of parents or teachers or bosses or back, you know, in older days, uh, bygone days, uh, the Lord who was over you, right? Um, and the example is the person whose worth or stands or falls on his or her ability to sort of please those people. 
um, to meet the expectations of the culture. And, and we find this playing itself out, this dynamic playing itself out all through our world, even today. Um, within certain ethnic groups, there is sort of a code of this is what it means to be in. And so a person goes about trying to meet those expectations, and in doing so, uh, experiences a sense of affirmation and validation, right? That happens within different regions in our country. There are certain expectations that are particular to that region. And to be a person from that region means you fulfill those expectations. We could say that, and we could probably come up with a list of those kinds of expectations associated with the Bay Area, even. And then there's the sort of microcultures that we inhabit. Um, That might be your workplace, or, um, you know, even I think about my, my group of cyclists that I've been a part of, there's sort of a code, a set of expectations. And to be validated and affirmed within that context, you strive to meet those expectations. And, and that's sort of the traditional mode of identity formation. Others decide what it means to be, quote unquote, good. And then a person strives to meet those expectations. Now, there's been a shift According to Charles Taylor, in the modern context, identity formation happens more from the inside out. So if in the traditional mode, identity is formed from the outside in, from, from the outside in, uh, in the modern mode, it is from the inside out. As I get in touch with my own yearnings and personal needs, which I, I sort of root around, dig down to discover what they are, and then I form a vision of who I want to be and who, 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 the life I could live and the, the identity I could have that would meet those needs. And then here's where the flip happens. I presume upon others around me to reinforce who I say I want to be. So it's sort of the opposite posture towards others as in the traditional mode. Now I'm, I'm expecting of those around me to reinforce who I say that I am. Uh, And this leads to things, all kinds of things. We could spend a long time talking about the ramifications of this shift within our modern context, but things like the call-out culture, for example, um, or this obsessive social media posting where, where I'm trying to get others to affirm who I say that I am. And, 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 and of course, our, our social media dynamic is sort of like fuel for the fire, right, for the modern mode of identity formation. Um, And it includes this sort of unhealthy reliance on others to meet your needs, which is is, um, why um, people get angry if others disagree with them, because um, to disagree is to threaten our very identity. So, so when we're in this mode, we get really upset, and, and probably we've all experienced this because we're all children of this age to some degree. We're all, we're all um, bought into the cultural uh, stream that surround us, surrounds us. It's hard not to drink from it. And so you, you know that you're, you're functioning in the modern identity formation mode when you, when, when you get really angry because somebody doesn't affirm who you are or who you think you should be. And I would imagine that all of us engage in both of these identity formation modes, right? Uh, the tradition and the modern. And, and some of us may come more from a, a, 
a context in which the traditional is emphasized, and some of us may come from a context in which the modern mode is more emphasized. And, and the problem, the reason I'm bringing this up is because the problem with both of these is that neither you, to go into the modern mode, that's where you sort of define who you are, neither you nor the people around you, that's the traditional mode, are worthy of the task of defining another human being. See, this is the, this is the important clarification, the, the insight that we need to make the move to a more healthy way of forming our identity. That, that, that I don't have the, the goods, the wisdom, the, the history, the, the sovereignty, the power to be able to define myself ultimately. And I, the people around me don't have that either if I rely on them to define me, Right? As long as we keep going to these sources to determine who we are, we're going to come up empty. I, I think of this verse in Jeremiah 2, 13, where it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now, what's a broken cistern? So, so you've got on the one hand, the fountain of living water, just continually pouring forth living water. And then a cistern is sort of a, a closed vessel. And if it's broken, if it has a crack in it, what would happen is that the dirt would seep in. And so the water in the cistern would become muddy. And you couldn't drink it. It, you, it was just useless to you. And, and so what, let me read the verse with that context. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, God says, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So rather than turn to the fount of living waters, in the realm of identity formation, we turn to broken cisterns. And, and that's what the traditional and the modern mode of identity formation are if we rely on them for sort of an ultimate process of forming our identity. Um, we, we turn to these cisterns that are broken, filled with muddy, stagnant waters to try to quench our thirst for value and worth and meaning, and they never can. See, God wants to be the one to define you. God wants to be the one to define you. And he's the one who made you. Of course, he's the one who redeems you through Jesus Christ. So I just can't imagine who else there could be better placed to define you. So my last point is that we would allow God to do that important work of defining us. In fact, I think this morning what Jesus is doing is he's calling you back to find yourself in him. All those moments when you have tried to make yourself worthy, validated, approved of, valuable, 
by meeting the expectations of the people around you? Or by presuming upon them to try to affirm you in ways that you've designed that perhaps aren't part of God's original design for you, right? All that wasted energy and suffering and anxious toil that can all be pushed to the side this morning as Jesus calls you and beckons you to come back to him and to find yourself in Christ. Like I said, the entire Bible is about the formation of our identity. And so it would be impossible in the time that we have to go through it all, to to be exhaustive in our approach. And so what I want to do in the remaining moments that we have is to quickly offer you three snapshots that will suggest some important aspects of what it means to come back to Jesus and to have your identity formed in him. And in this moment, you know, during this pandemic, when so many of the things that we typically rely on for validation and approval have been swept to the side or or at least heavily muted in our lives, what a wonderful moment this is for us to just pause and allow God to do a unique and special work in our lives, to remind us, to call us back to the fount of living waters where we can find restoration and renewal and a kind of value and worth that is eternal and unshakable. So, a few brief snapshots. The first one comes from Romans 8, verse 14, through verse 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now listen to this, and I put it in bold on the slide. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You find this to be the case over and over again. You've got this beautiful language um, to be children of God, to be heirs, heirs of the king of the universe. We get to participate in the inheritance that's given to the king of the universe, who is Jesus Christ. 
And yet you find this over and over again. Embedded in that is the reminder, because this is so important, that the, the pathway of walking into that identity involves suffering. And, that, and that's part of what we're experiencing right now to one degree or another. But here's what I really want to pull out of this passage, this snapshot, is that, remember, in the traditional identity formation, it's, it's from the outside in. In the modern mode of identity formation, it's from the inside out. And in this passage, what you have with God is the bringing together of both of those. God from the outside, who, by the way, knows you perfectly, knows exactly how he designed you, knows what he designed you for. From the outside, God affirms who you are. So so this is from the outside in, okay? But then, by his spirit, he comes into you, and it says that his spirit, capital S, testifies with your spirit, small s, to cry out through you, Abba, Father. Now, that just could be translated, dear Father. It's like, it's like your identity as a child of God, which you have a hard time fully embracing, is being formed in you at one and the same time by God's work from the outside, but also by his work from the inside of you to enable you to break through all the things that would call you, would drive you to say, I'm not worthy, I can't do it, I'm nothing. He's breaking through all of that by his spirit alive in you to call out from you, Abba, Father. So when God forms our identity, it's, it's both outside in and inside out. Snapshot number two, this is Luke 10, 38 and following. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. That was the disciples traveling with Jesus. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Something in this captures the way in which we allow God to do his defining work. Something in this captures the appropriate way in which we allow God to do his defining work. It's about setting aside distractions and drinking in the teaching of Jesus in long drafts, right? The fount of living water, drinking in long drafts of the teaching of Jesus while we sit in stillness before him. 
And isn't it interesting that during this pandemic, we find ourselves with an extra measure of stillness. You know, the birds are chirping, right? Yesterday I was sitting out in my side yard and this hummingbird, and I don't know if these hummingbirds have been around as much before or not. I feel like I haven't noticed them. Maybe I'm just too distracted. I'm sitting in my side yard just watching this hummingbird, right? There's a calm that has settled in upon the world. Some of the distractions that keep us from sitting at the feet of Jesus have been taken away. They've been removed. And we have this precious opportunity to follow in the footsteps of Mary and to sit and to drink in the teaching of Jesus. And, and, and we don't know what Jesus was teaching Mary during this time, but we do know it was laden because everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus does is laden with identity formation. He wants us to know who he is, and in the light of who he is, we begin to understand who we are. And so the encouragement for us is to take a lesson from Mary during this season and to sit at the feet of Jesus, which is the better portion. That's the better portion. Snapshot number three. During the Passover, uh, right before Jesus went to the cross, as he was having dinner with the disciples, it says in John 13 that he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Engage your, your imagination so you can picture this. And taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. These are dusty, dirty, sandal feet. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know, right? So much for physical distancing and hand sanitizer and face masks, right? Jesus is, is on his knees before the disciples, even the one that would betray him and the one who would deny him the next day. And he's getting his hands dirty, washing the feet of the disciples. How much you, but sometimes when my feet are bare in front of others, do you, do you feel a sense of discomfort at times, right? It's, there's something intimate. There's something revealing about being barefoot in front, of, let alone having somebody wash your feet, let alone having Jesus, the Messiah, wash your feet. And I think letting God define you is a little like letting God wash your feet at times. It seems too good to be true, right? No, I'll take care of it. I can do this. And when Jesus says things about us like, like we're his friend, uh, when we hear things like we're co-inheritors with Christ, we wonder, can it really be true? Can I really be a friend of Jesus? Can I really be a child of God? Because if that's true, then nothing else matters. 
can I really be a daughter or a son of the king? Because if that's true, all this anguish and frustration and, 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 and anxiety that I go about my daily life living, trying to be good enough for the people around me and trying to, to make them reaffirm to me that I'm good enough because of the things that I want and think I need, all that wasted energy can be done away with if it's really true that in Christ I'm a daughter or a son of the king, right? What else matters if we've been defined by the creator and the redeemer of the world. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. And, and there's this moment where receiving that is like letting somebody wash your feet. It's uncomfortable because of sin and shame. But it's right and good and true because of the awesome love and grace and goodness of God. So the answer to the question, can I really be defined by God? Uh, can I really put all the rest of it to rest? The answer to the question is, yes, you can. Peter had this moment. He said, no, you shouldn't be washing my feet, Jesus. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Peter said, then, then uh, wash everything, Lord. Wash everything. Essentially, what Jesus said is, yeah, I have, I will. Tomorrow when I go to the cross, that's what I do. I wash everything. I wash all your sins away. I take all of your shame into myself. So you don't have to bear it anymore. I remember that when I made you, I made you in the image of God. And I declare that though that image has been marred by sin, it is not irredeemable. And so I go to the cross to redeem you. Ultimately to make you whole again. I define you, Jesus says. I define you. And the question that we have to answer every day when we crawl out of that bed and the world hits us in the face is, am I going to let Jesus define me today? Am I going to let Jesus define me today? So I hope and pray that in this season, when things are a little more quiet, you get some really good merry time to sit at the feet of Jesus and to drink from the fountain of living waters to be defined by the one who really only has the power to define you.